This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. It is only once you blossom from your core, invoking creativity and engaging creative energy and self-compassion, that you can in turn love others and together create an interdependent, interconnected, inclusive world. Valeria Tellez interviews Janet Slom, the author of An Artful Path to Mindfulness, MBSR-based activities for using creativity to reduce stress and embrace the present moment. Janet Slom, MFA, is an artist, author, educator, and social entrepreneur. She serves as adjunct faculty for Lehigh University's Global Village, has taught at the Center for Mindfulness at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, and as a guest speaker at the University of Miami. She is the originator of Mindfulness-Based Self-Expression, MBSE, to inspire artistic and personal growth while building on the core principles of mindfulness by John Kabat-Zinn. Her book, An Artful Path to Mindfulness, guides readers through an experiential curriculum that integrates mindfulness meditation, creativity through art, and mind-body practices to cultivate resilience, wellness, and interconnectedness. Originally from South Africa, she currently resides with her family in Westport, Connecticut, and Miami, Florida. Her artwork and installations have been exhibited throughout the world. Meet Janet at JanetSlom.com. Here is the interview with Janet Slom. In your own words, who is Janet Slom? So that's such a, a beautiful question. And it really is clear to me that the deepest part of my being is not connected with the name. I feel um, my whole life has been a journey to find this inner heart of interconnection, of I'm moved because of the question is so beautiful. So um, Janet Slom is a being who has journeyed throughout life from the age of five years old and just really wondering and searching and connecting with something that is beyond name that is a way of being in the world. And more than a, a name, I think it's a sense of being. And I don't know if that answers the question. 
So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, An Artful Path to Mindfulness, MBSR, Based Activities for Using Creativity to Reduce Stress and Embrace the Present Moment. I have these warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off-record. What is life to you, Janet? Not the meaning of life, but what is life itself to you? So life is the creative process, moment to moment. I think there's no finite definition of light, but it's an experiential presence of responding to what is happening moment to moment and a great sense of wonder and grace and gratitude for this process that we have been blessed with. And I'm not just talking about the good times. I'm talking about every single part of life. And especially in this moment, we are facing very, very challenging times. And so how we respond and how we are in the presence of all of life is what I feel is important. What do you think is the opposite to life or the opposite of life? So the opposite of life is living with expectations in a comfort zone and not wanting things to change and wanting things a particular way from the standpoint of name, position, who we think we are. And so there's not this dance, there's not this interconnectedness that really opens us and expands us to the entire experience moment to moment and breath by breath. So I think that holding on to the idea and the concept is not what life is because we know that we have no idea what happens moment to moment. I guess, speaking of ideas and concepts, that makes me think about beliefs. And I wonder, and I often ask the question, is that possible to navigate this reality without beliefs, without holding on to ideas? Well, I think that there's a, an underlying humanity of integrity, of right action, of really truly understanding what it is to be in life, in the process. So that requires deep reflection of going within and asking very important questions. Who am I and what do I want? And I feel that my teachers throughout my life, beginning with my father and then Krishnamurti and Shogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, uh, Eckhart Tolle, Pema Chodron, John Kabat-Zinn most recently has really brought me to a place of a deep understanding of our humanity, of our interconnectedness, and coming back to your question, the belief, the knowing that we are all one. We are breathing the same air. We are affecting each other. 
And we are in the circle of life together. So that belief of something bigger than me, mine, and I to be acquisitive and to gain at the expense of somebody else or to have winners and losers, to have inequality and a lot of suffering when others are, you know, really gaining from the suffering of others, that is not my belief. I like the idea that our beliefs are connected to the deeper truth about what life is about and that connection to nature. In my case, I always go back to nature. Absolutely. And a belief is, for me, I believe in something greater than myself. I believe in this spacious earth and life and nature that there is something beyond my understanding, this wonder, this grace, this exquisite essence of life. I can't really name it, but I do believe that this is life. Do you believe in having a purpose? And if you do, how do we know when we are living our purpose? Oh, what a beautiful question. So I think um, and I feel and I experience when I'm in that flow of knowing the joy in my heart and the, the deep connectedness, I'm in my purpose. And that for each one of us is different. You know, for me, it's painting and it's about sharing what I've learned through a difficult journey, and that's become my purpose. And then there's music, and there's cooking, and there's speaking, and there's offering something of oneself that becomes bigger than uh, the purpose of self. It's an, more of an expansive grace and a generosity. I think that's what it is, finding that place that takes you out of the little self and you are able to experience hours going by without even knowing that time has gone by and that you know that you're affecting and that you're making a difference in the lives of others in some way. And I don't know what that way is. For everyone, it's different. What is the meaning of death to you, Janet? So another beautiful question, which we could speak about for ages. <laughs> yes, right. and, and my feeling is that if you truly live fully engaged and with the experience of all of life, the difficulties, the challenge, the losses, the great vulnerability that we all experience, especially in this moment of we don't know. We don't know. Nothing has remained the same. So in that process of living and engaging with each moment, trusting, I think what happens is my heart opens to knowing that there is a great vulnerability that I could die 
at any moment. So what do I want to do with this moment that I'm alive? How do I want to live this moment with all my heart, with everything that I have, without saving anything for tomorrow, but just feeling that I'm giving it all. So it's a great heart-opening generosity and not tightly holding on to uh, fear, but befriending fear and saying, I am afraid right now. And I do feel this anxiety at times and fear as we are all. And so befriending that gives me a chance to surrender and soften and know the preciousness of this moment, this breath and this life right here, right now. Why do you think so many of us are afraid and some terrified of physical death? So, of course, it's the unknown. And of course, there's great fear. And it's easy for me to speak like this. And in the moment of when death visits me, I may have a completely different experience. So I don't really want to you know, have an answer. But what I do want to say is that, um, you know, each of us is different. And each of us experiences things in such a different way. So how do we recognize our inner knowing, our inner intuition, and really embrace that like we are holding a little baby? The fear, the anxiety, the not knowing, all of that. Because as we do that and we move towards the fear, there may be um, a way of accepting that we are born and we live and then everybody dies. So it's the process of life. And then when we die, babies are born. So this is a continuum. So it brings me to the place of saying, this life that I have will then be passed on to our children. And what do I want to leave for them? What is my gift? And how do I want to make a contribution? The topic of death becomes more of a reflection, deep reflection. And now there's anticipation trying to know what the future looks like or will. Yes. Yes, because... You know, in the whole process, we have no idea what the future is. The past is already gone. So all we have is this moment. And so to be fully present right here, right now, is really offering ourselves the greatest gift of life. And otherwise, we're missing the entire experience. What does it feel like when we are in the present moment? Um, I can speak for myself. I know when I'm in the present moment and I'm in fear, I feel my body contracting. I feel my belly becomes hard. My hands become clenched and I'm resisting. So the present moment changes with each moment, with each breath. And then I feel moments when I am open 
to say drawing and being creative or responding to a conversation with somebody that is really pushing my buttons. I can close and contract and become judgment judge judgmental or I can open and become aware of what's happening in my body. So life is a creative process. Life is moment to moment asking us to make choices, asking us to step into the circle of the moment and we can choose either to react or be open and respond with curiosity and playfulness and trust and maybe take a risk. And rather than holding the moment that is difficult in our past preconceived notions, maybe seeing seeing the person in a new light and maybe seeing the good parts of them instead of going back to this construct that we've created from past experience, but meeting them freshly in a new way. And that's not easy. It sounds really simple, actually, to just give ourselves to life and just uh, be open to the invitation of whatever comes. It's not easy. No, not at all. And that's why mindfulness-based self-expression and an artful path to mindfulness has really, it is a journey of practice and through the practice There's discovery, and through that discovery, we see our stuckness. We see how we get caught in our history as maybe sometimes being a victim and not knowing what to do. But then as we practice more and more and more, we have an invitation to soften and to see things maybe not just one way or another way, this is good, this is bad, I like this, I don't like that. No, seeing more openly as how can I see this in a different way? What could be the blessing of this moment? At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? Do you have a vision for a new reality? Yes, I do. And what is the world's greatest need right now? Right now, I feel love is the most needed right now. Loving kindness and rather than a separation, to really be in a heart base of practicing self-compassion, kindness within, And knowing that everybody is coming from their own perspective. So the love that I'm talking about is a responsible love. And the responsible love is what we are called to right now. Every single one of us has a part and a voice that needs to be expressed. So it's no good waiting for the outside or some magic something coming from the outside. We are learning that intuition 
and listening deeply, be grounded in what feels right experientially is a place of groundedness. So love right now, I think, is the most powerful stance that we can take. And trusting that what will be the outcome is for the highest good. I love that word, trust. I know some people use the word faith and hope as well, but I do like the trust, that word better for some reason. And I do love to have faith in this moment, I think is really, really important. And to really have faith in our inner resources, which is something that we haven't really been taught. We've always been taught that to read another or do another course, this will help us, this will save us. No, it all comes from within. And so, you know, an artful path to mindfulness takes you through the journey of each week exploring another way to strengthen, to ask questions, and to find that place inside of clarity and asking, how do I love myself? Because only then can we offer this outside. Do you connect self-compassion to self-love to self-acceptance? Yes, I feel they are all one. Self-love, self-compassion, connecting with self, and really the strength to know that nobody can tell you how to live your life. And so the integrity of intuition and inner guidance is what can really lead us to living a purposeful, joyful life. It doesn't matter how many people are pointing fingers or saying we are wrong. It's about the strength of knowing that we are living the life that we were meant to live. Yeah, I'm wondering why so many of us, again, um, doubt that voice. Because we all know in a way, right, Janet? It's a knowing that's accessible to all of us, but we tend to doubt. Yes. And you know, Valeria, doubt, it's not that doubt goes away. But when I notice doubt, I say, okay, I see that you're here. And please take a back seat because I would like to risk and I would like to listen to what and how I'm being guided. And it's funny that um, we live in a society of not feeling good enough in the West. This thing of not feeling good enough, when the Dalai Lama speaks about it, he says, we don't have that in the East. We, we don't even know what that is, the self-doubt. Because there is a trust, there is a faith, there is a, a sense of the sacredness of life and the interconnectedness and what we do to another, we do to ourselves. So it's such a kind humanity rather than not feeling good enough comes from competition. Because when you look at the outside and there may be, 
you know, somebody with more, or there may be somebody who's cleverer or who's attained more. Yes, we have been programmed to not feel good enough. But the point is, there's only one of each of us. So if we understand that unique gift that is ours and focus on that rather than looking to the outside for answers, we will feel into a strength that is ours to celebrate and to be and to live and then to offer that. It's not selfish. It's the most generous-hearted, open, beautiful way to offer this thing that we are to others so that they can understand our experience of life, we can understand their experience of life, and together we can have a lovely conversation of the different experiences. There's no right and wrong. What is the meaning of freedom to you, Janet? What is to be free? To be free, gosh, to be free is to open the palms. I'm going to speak for myself. To open the palms of my hands to receive all that life has to offer and not clench fists and trying to hold on to the way I want it to be. So it's really opening to possibility, opening to disappointment, opening to the way that we didn't expect. It's opening because when we open and we are ready to receive in a very responding way of creativity in the moment, that is freedom. That is true freedom of spacious, open, wide open sky, heaven on earth, now as it is. How did you become a writer and what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, An Artful Path to Mindfulness? Thank you. So I don't feel that I'm a writer and I have to really express the great gratitude for moments that brought me to writing the book. And the first moment was I got a call from an editor who had followed my work for many years and saw that I was uh, giving workshops at UMass Center for Mindfulness. And she said, have you thought of writing a book? And I was like completely shocked because I've wanted to do this all my life and the fear has stopped me from doing it. And so after sitting with this, I called her the next day And I said, I would love to write a book. And the process was four, three and a half, four years of really daunting moments. Because this was not just an ordinary book for me. It was about honoring every teacher that has come before me, beginning with my father, who was my first spiritual teacher and taught me meditation at four or five years old. And Then Shogiyam Trungpa Rinpoche was his teacher. And then the books next to his chair, only a few books 
Krishnamurti, and then the Dalai Lama, and Pema Chodron, and Eckhart Tolle, and then all the beautiful poets. So the most important that catalyzed this whole thing, John Kabat-Zinn wrote the most exquisite curriculum, an eight-week program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And after practicing and him being my beloved teacher and beautiful friend from 2003, I was inspired one day to say, this is such a beautiful curriculum. And then I would also like to honor myself and my process as an artist. So how can I bring these two together in using the ground of John's brilliant curriculum and then adding mindfulness-based self-expression, which is the creative component of drawing, and so honoring my teacher and then adding my heart and my voice. And another great moment was, you know, John had said when I had approached him earlier, I don't write four words. I'm too busy right now. I used to. And so after my sit one day, I decided to send him my manuscript. And within a short while, he said, I love this book. I love what you've added to mindfulness-based stress reduction. I will absolutely write a foreword. And so it was grace and a truly beautiful moment. And this work is now an offering so that others may benefit from this thing called self-expression, which each and every one of us has. And if you can write your name, you can absolutely do the program because it's not about being an artist. It's about making marks and trusting one mark to the next and then seeing what happens and maybe being surprised. And that element of surprise, I think, Often we've forgotten what that feels like. So it's an invitation to explore and see what happens. The more I, I went through the book, just seeing the questions and everything you have outlined there, it's just amazing. It is definitely a path to self-discovery. I know you call it self-expression, which is the same thing in a way. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And... I can say that, you know, when I teach at Lehigh University, where I've been teaching since 2004, and now in other universities, UM teaching medical students, there's something that is belongs to each of us, this creative element where we can find our true selves, not from what we've created as a resume, this pristine resume, when I teach at universities, I say, I'm not even interested in looking at your register, in, in your uh, resume. Step into the space with me and show me your heart and show me what's important to you. And so you don't have to have any prior experience of meditation, of art. You just have to be willing to risk and not be an expert 
and explore and maybe find new ways of being. I have a question here for you. How did you discover yourself as an artist and also as an educator, Janet? So as an artist, I started to draw with my meditations on the veranda with my father after we would open our eyes after 20 minutes of listening to the birds, there was a piece of paper next to me and I would start to just make marks. So from the earliest time I can remember, I was always making marks. And then when I reached high school and university, I didn't want to copy things or draw things the way the professors were requiring us to do. So I was told that maybe I should take another career and that I really didn't have talent for this. And it broke my heart. So I gave it up for a few years. And then this real gnawing, this inner crying out. So I went back. And all this time, I was always teaching wherever I was, community centers, loving the process, teaching the process. And then I went back to drawing in my own way. And I saw how freeing it was for everybody who did it. There were no preconceived ideas or techniques to learn. There was nothing like you have to learn perspective, you have to learn shading. No, step into the circle and let's make marks together and play like children. <laughs> and, and Winnicott once said, it's in play and only in play that the adult finds the self. Okay. So that is the freedom, playful, engagement, curiosity, and wonder. I don't know if that, if that <laughs> answered your question. It yes. is a long... <laughs> Sounds like magic to me. I have a question about meditation and mindfulness. Some people confuse, I, I think I used to confuse them too. I thought meditation and mindfulness, they were the same thing. What is the difference, if there is any? Meditation is a practice. And it's a practice of becoming present. So as we sit on the cushion and we do our practice, we notice that we all have this monkey mind that doesn't stop for a minute. And so rather than judge it as something wrong and that we need to get rid of it, you sit with monkey mind and you watch it. And sometimes for the first time, you're completely surprised at how crazy the mind is. <laughs> True. Sitting with this monkey mind is the practice because you're not trying to push it away. You're trying to explore and know when your thoughts are in the future or when they're in the past. And then you begin to become aware, my gosh, I'm spending so much time in the would have, should have, could have, or fearing what happens if this happens tomorrow? What happens if I lose this? What happens if, as you said, I die? I lose all my money. I don't have a home. I've lost my job. That's all in the future. And often 
we worry about the future and a lot of those things don't come to pass. And even if they do, all we can do is strengthen in the present moment. So practice mindfulness and meditation are both a practice of awareness. So you don't have to do any particular kind of practice. There are many ways of entering this place of awareness. And I find that, yes, I do sit every day. I have a practice. I also have a practice of drawing. And drawing is an entryway into becoming aware. And so sometimes my drawings are filled with fear and I'm looking at the lines and they may be thick or very, very fearful and tentative and very, very light. Why? Because I'm afraid to mark. And all this is informing me of how I am in the moment. It's informing me of what am I aware of in my life in this moment. And we can only live life in this moment. If we are not in this moment, then we truly are not living. So being present brings us to a greater sense of being aware of our emotions, of the sensations in our body, whether that be pain or tension or a struggle, whatever that is. And in being aware, that's when we can be awake. And that's when we can choose, how do I want to relate rather than react? And sometimes we react by having a drink, taking a pill, doing something that may be more harmful to us, you know, obsessing on going on the internet, obsessing on the news, only to find that when we finish with that, we feel even worse. So this exploration of self is really understanding what feeds me, what and how can I be kind to myself, what helps me, whether it be going for a walk in nature, looking at the sky and the clouds, writing a journal and a gratitude journal of just five things that I feel grateful for right now. These things are very helpful for me. So I go through all these in the book and I say, try it and see if it works for you. I'm not pushing anything or trying to sell anything. I'm sharing with the open-hearted sense of please be kind to yourself and see if this works. There is a passage in your book that you say something that is very profound. And uh, I mean, you have been saying profound things throughout the conversation. And I guess you already spoke of something similar to this. But the exact words you wrote were, as you learn to say no, you befriend the love that is within, which is loving and accepting yourself without needing approval, achievements, or accolades from others. There is no greater gift than to say a present no. I love the way you say that too. 
a present no that is clear without guilt or a longing to be loved? Yes. I have found that to be one of the most beautiful practices because saying no was very, very hard for me for many, many years. You know, growing up, I I wanted to please, I wanted to be loved, I wanted to be accepted. And so I kept on saying yes, but then afterwards I felt a sense of, why did I do that? You know, it just, it came from a place of feeling guilty or not feeling good enough. And now the practice, which, you know, I talk about in the book is to really before saying either a yes or a no to what is presenting, stop, take a breath and feel into, is this what is for the highest good beginning with myself and then for the situation? And is no coming out or yes, coming out a place of authenticity and truth and really living well, living authentically and being that, being in that place of authenticity. Because when we do say no from a place of strength, people get it. You don't have to explain, but you just say with love in your heart, no, thank you, but no. Very kindly, it doesn't have to have any kind of aggression because you are there and you are there fully, body, mind and spirit. And you're saying no, nothing can be more powerful than standing for and being grounded in the present moment. Yeah, it takes courage. It does. It takes great courage. And that's another thing, the courage to be your own best friend, the courage to take care of yourself is like nothing could be more important because how can you take care of others? And coming from a sense of depletion and really not honoring taking care of yourself. Love, the way you spoke of this... um interconnectedness, this trust, that's what I call love. And coming from that place is the only place we can come from, really, authentic place to love others in life itself for what is. And and we have that responsibility, you know, that yeah. is our lives. So that is standing for the gift that we have been given. And this is no rehearsal. This is it. So to take a stand for what you feel is important to you. It's also teaching our children values, values of really acknowledging and being okay with who they are, not being sucked into what we are being brainwashed to look a certain way, be a certain way, belong to a certain group, own particular things to be cool. No, to be self-reliant and self-compassionate is taking care of ourselves. And in all these levels, right? And and the thing is it's not you you know it's this is not about concept. We experience 
this process of art and life and being in communication or in relationship, a lot in relationship, is it's a process. And it's about being embodied in that relationship, not about what the books tell us we need to do or how we need to look to attract this or attract that. No, there's nothing more powerful and more endearing or more fascinating than really befriending yourself and offering that to the world without trying to emulate what the media is trying to contort us into being. There are so many notes that I made here, questions that I had, that mindful eating, that's another. You have so many things here that we can uh, use. I'm sure we can use, or I can ask you, is that okay to use to start with a mindful art encounter 22, for example? Anywhere. In fact, what is really wonderful sometimes is close the book and then open it randomly at a particular page and just read that for that moment, for that day, maybe do that practice and see how that feels to you in that moment. There may be a wonderful message just for the experience that you are having. So there's no particular way that you have to do the book. You can, any way, any amount of time, you can be the creator of your practice moment to moment. So I have a few more questions, just two or three. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? I would. I really would. And um, thank you for that invitation. Thank you, Jenny. I'm going to read this chapter from week eight, and it's about going deeper and wider. We all experience loss, challenges, disappointments, rejection, and failure. We all feel sadness, fear, anxiety, jealousy, albeit in a very unique way. Challenges and surprises are part of living for everyone. There is no controlling life. It's about deepening your friendship with yourself, accepting who you are in all of your colors and shades of light and dark, changing in each moment. That you are able to reach out to others in this way in a loving and genuine presence. By loosening the grip of ego, letting go of empty self-promotion and the need for external approval, and relaxing into life unfolding, you may begin to experience your heart opening to self-acceptance, kindness, and sharing your experience without shame and without judgment. And there's a saying which I have started this chapter with, and it's no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. I love that saying, and that is John Donne from Devotions Upon Emergent Occasions. There is no controlling life. 
that's a very powerful statement to say, to know, like then knowing that we cannot control life, but just experience it and live it. So I do have a few more questions for you. I have to ask you this one. How do you define success? What is to be successful to you these days? Beautiful. Another beautiful question. So we can look at success in different ways. And I will talk about success for me is about living authentically, about standing firm in that which we know of ethical action, ethical life, how we treat others. And success is rather than outer success. It's about feeling the love within that I have had the courage and I've had to go through many, many difficult moments to come back to the courage when I've been filled with fear. And I feel that success is, what does that mean for each individual? So if we go deeper, deeper into the question, what is true success? And I think it's about loving yourself and through that love, offering something out into the universe out into nature so that the world when we leave is changed and is a little bit better for our lives having been lived well. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? What a beautiful question. I would continue doing and being love. And in the moments that I feel that I'm slipping up, I would kindly bring myself back to love. And if this was going to be the moment of an end, if you want to call it that, or a transition, I would just reach out to humanity, to my family, to my friends that I absolutely love to my grandchildren and just tell them how much I love them and how important it is to live a life where you can leave the world a little bit kinder. And to all my friends who I don't even know around the world, together we can make a difference. Together we can make a difference by really being present, being active, and being a part of this life and not being a bystander. What are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Three things I know about life for sure. Yeah. Well, for sure I know <laughs> that life is change. That I know for sure. I do know too that life offers us an opportunity to live creatively, to live mindfully and with attention and intention. So we can choose. We can choose to add to the good 
or we can choose the aggression and to point a finger and to look at what's not okay. We can choose to take a stand for what we feel is humanity and our human right. And the one thing I know for sure is the fragility, the vulnerability, the grace, and the love. I, I know that for sure, that it is the most beautiful gift, and it is grace. And I'm not making light of the great suffering of loss the inequality, none of that. I'm saying that all of that is our responsibility. And I know for sure that each and every one of us can make a difference, can inspire the lives of others. And even if it's little changes by just smiling at a stranger, or reaching out with a word when you know or you can sense that somebody is suffering. I know that for sure, that love brings us together and love sustains us. And that love is what will continue for our children and our children's children. Thank you so much. Janet, for this um, peaceful, uh, beautiful conversation. Um, thank you for your presence, your deep wisdom. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for this beautiful moment of sharing. And I, I am so grateful. I do have one more technical question for you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So the best place would be to go to my website, and that is janetslom.com. And I have ways to know how to order the book. You can see some of my drawings and doodles paintings, uh, offerings of upcoming workshops and private consultations. I think my website is the best place to go. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Valeria. Take good care. You too, Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Janet Slom and her work, please visit JanetSlom.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.